This podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite thing, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. How's your week been? My week has been good. What have I done this week? Literally nothing. That's fine. That's nice. Um, That's a good change. I mean, you've been doing so much lately. You've been moving constantly. It's probably a good thing that you've got very little to report on for once. It is true. So let's bask in this moment of glory because now starts the countdown of three weeks till I go to Japan, which is a whole nother adventure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll also be in California next week for part two of the Airs tour. Which is mm-hmm. so exciting. I don't know if you've told the audience yet that you're going to go see... Oh, don't you have, tell it? I don't know <gasps> if you've told this story to the audience yet. So, yeah, funny little thing happened <laughs> where... <laughs> uh, in which every night after the Eras tour that I went to in New Jersey, my mother and I just gushed about how much we need to do again. I mean, the morning after we went to the Eras tour, we were like, we need to go again. We need to go tonight. Like... It's, she's here again tonight and the night after, like, we need to do it. Like, it's one time is just not enough to really absorb and process the experience. And it's just so amazing that, of course, you want to do it again. So, naturally, we would just chat every so often, pretty regularly, I mean, and look at ticket prices for her upcoming shows. And, like, every weekend, we'd be like, ah, next weekend she's playing here. What if we just, like, got tickets and went, you know, the tickets are only this much at this point, you know? <laughs> And we did that, did that, did that for like a million times. And one night we were looking at tickets to the new date that she had opened up for LA. She had, I think, maybe five, four or five dates already Mm -hmm. lined up for LA, but she opened up a new date on the 7th of August. Mm -hmm. And because it was new, the tickets, they were expensive, but they weren't like a salary, you know? (laughs) So we were looking at them and my mom had scrolled to the end of the like buying process Mm -hmm. just to know how much it was after like taxes and fees and everything, because it's obviously like a totally different price. The amount of fees they add on is absolutely insane it's like a quarter of the actual ticket price mm. when and when it's like a thousand dollar ticket that's a lot mm. you know so she just wanted to like get an accurate amount of how much this ticket would be and she i swear to god pressed buy on accident <laughs> for two tickets on the floor <laughs> which <laughs> oh which were not what she intended to buy i mean i was very happy i was not mad about this situation oh but the order went through and she was like how do I undo that? And I was like, I don't think you can. We looked into it. You can't like refund them. You have to sell them. Oh and God. I was, was like, if you even dare think about selling these tickets. <laughs> I mean, I've never been someone who, you know, like asked for a lot in life, really, oh. truly. That is the one thing. I was like, if you sell those tickets, I will sell you my soul to buy the back. Like, <laughs> So please don't make me do that. <laughs> wow. Wow. So The dangers of keeping your credit card details on, <laughs> on, on yeah, websites that you spend yet. a lot of money on. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Total danger zone. But we ended up wow. getting these LA tickets, which actually is more 
like, reasonable and convenient than probably any other location just because we have a lot of family out there, which means mm-hmm. we don't have to, like, spend money on a hotel, and we can turn it into, like, a trip to see them and stuff, which is what we're doing. Yeah. So... You know, we were planning, probably going to go out to L.A. at some point in the summer regardless. It could have been at a slightly more convenient time, like right before I went to Japan as like a stop on the way. Yeah. But now I'm going to L.A., which is six hours away by plane, and then <laughs> coming back and then flying to Japan over L.A. afterwards. So that'll be a fun time. But it's worth it because Aeros tour, Taylor Swift, she's 100% worth it. I can't wait. That's insane. That's insanity. It was a wild ride. I was totally crying. It was such a surreal moment. I did not expect that, you know? Even though it had been something that I'd been toying with for weeks, it just came very suddenly and unexpectedly and very excitingly. So, yes, I am looking forward to going to L.A. for sure. Of course, also to see family and to, you know, have a nice relaxing week and stuff. And there's a lot of people in L.A. that I like to visit as often as I can. So I'm not mad at all for any reason. The only one who's mad is my mom's bank account, but, you know, it's okay. She has a real job. She's an adult. She can work that money off. It's okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I had no words when I first found out, and uh, that was ages ago, and I still have no words. I just... That is... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm just so excited. I can't wait. It was one of the best experiences ever, and I can't imagine it will be any less this time, if not more. Like, I honestly expect it to be even better the second time. How has your week been? Yeah, okay. I've had a lot of extra weirdness with my body this week. My chronic pain has been acting up way more than usual, which is annoying, because normally I just mostly deal with the fatigue part of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and I've had more of the chronic pain stuff in the last week, which sucks but just trying to manage nothing else to report really i don't think so books okay how's your week in reading been it's been pretty great as you know i have read a book this week that i'm very excited to talk to you about cool i have some good news actually on the book front from the book reviews oh really so (laughs) nina's doing some very good acting here as if i haven't already told her (laughs) i have had my first book review published on onlinebookclub.org for a book called swimming in a sea of stars by julie wright and i'm very proud of that accomplishment this book is a ya fiction book but it's also very readable for non-ya lovers as well i would highly recommend checking out my review because i put a lot of time and effort into it. I will be linking that in the show notes, so please, please go check that out. It would mean the world to me. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say, because I have a published review on this, so I'm going to direct you to that. (laughs) Congratulations, your first published review. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I guess just as like a quick teaser to the book type, it's a YA fiction about mental illness and people who have difficult lives, essentially. It's like a troubled teen's YA fiction. And you can get my thoughts on the book in that review. You know I love a tough stuff story. Yes. Especially when it's melodramatic teens. I really think you'd like this one. As of the time that this episode will be coming out, this book will be widely available. As of the time of recording, it has not yet been published, but it definitely will have been by the time this episode comes out. So check it out and definitely check out Very the review. Very exciting. Will do. I have also read two books this week, so I guess I'll jump in since... I think the book that you've finished will be one that we're doing a book talk on this week. You know it. Cool. So Keeping them in suspense, really. We're not giving anything away here. I mean, I have a feeling it might be in the title. Probably. Probably. (laughs) 
So, the first book I finished this week was On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. That's the chunk of graphic novel I've been reading for the past couple of weeks. This is a science fiction graphic novel. I realised when I was describing this a couple of weeks ago, I probably buried the lead a little on what the main character does. I said that she was a restoration architect. I, I, I neglected to mention that she's a restoration architect in space. Right. <laughs> Just kind of buried the lead on the sci-fi aspect of this. <laughs> Gonna blame the fatigue for that one. So yes, she's a restoration architect, construction kind of person in space. In one timeline, in the other timeline, it's going back to her past when she was back in boarding school. The art of this one is absolutely stunning. I really enjoyed this book overall. I gave it 4.75. Ooh, yep. wow. This is the highest rated graphic novel that I've read thus far, aside from the Scott Pilgrim comics, which to be fair, I haven't reread them since I first read them when I was in my teens. So who knows how I'd rate them nowadays. We'll need to rejudge based on a rereading later. But you know, in terms of like full color graphic novels, this is definitely my highest rated one so far. It is, yeah, like I said, absolutely stunning. The use of color is really, really well done. In the beginning of the book, the two timelines are really very different in color tones. But as you go through the book, the two timelines start to, the colours within them start to be slightly less obviously distinct. And so, but by that point, it doesn't matter because you now know the characters so well after, you know, 300, <laughs> 400 pages that you can tell by the haircuts and, and what they're wearing and stuff like that, which timeline you're in. And so it allows for the art style to remain consistent. And so it's just done, it's done so beautifully where like at the beginning of the book, it's really guiding you along and then it kind of merges really beautifully. Partway through, it starts to become more and more of a trippy art style as well the space element of it especially there's a lot of really beautiful there's just a lot of really beautiful imagery but it's a it's a very trippy art style I don't know how else to explain it other than that <laughs> to be honest I'm not very good with art words I kind of want you to read this so that you can explain it in art words <laughs> you're definitely selling it art wise even if you don't have the art words for it cool I'm glad okay so moving on to story <laughs> which I know how to talk about <laughs> you know I think something that's really important for a graphic novel I mean like obviously is like having that factor that usually has to do with the art that makes it necessary for the story to be told in that format. Totally. And it sounds like this story used the art really well and it wouldn't be the same in a written format. Completely. You know? And sometimes yeah. I find that like graphic novels will be really pretty but won't like have a strong story to back it up. So you kind of need both mm. of those components which makes it maybe more of a challenging format. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like this did at least the art side very well. So tell us about the story. Fantastic. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, fantastic story. The characters are all really well formed. There's a main crew who works on this ship and each of them has their own distinct character, their own distinct personality, which is much harder to do in a graphic novel, usually because there's not enough time. Fortunately, because this one's so long, there is enough time and I really appreciate that. They're all either women or non-binary, which I think was a really interesting choice. And by all, I mean everyone, even the background characters. There is not a single man in sight. And I started to notice this about halfway through, maybe a little earlier than halfway through, and was wondering if it would continue. And I don't know whether the idea is that in this far future, men have been phased out, or whether... <laughs> 
it's just a choice the author has made because in her life men don't play a big part and so she was just like, eh, I'm just not going to include them or what. It's not anything that's explicitly stated ever. They're just not included. Maybe it's a commentary on the fact that in old sci-fi novels there's often no women or mm-hmm. in old, like, fantasy adventure novels a la Lord of the Rings, there are, or, you know, The Hobbit, whatever. I haven't read Lord of the Rings, so I don't know if there's any women, but there sure as hell aren't in The Hobbit. Maybe it's a commentary on that. Who knows? There are some kick-ass women in The Lord of the Rings. Okay, all right. Well, there we go. <laughs> but there are no women at all in The Hobbit. That I know for sure. And <laughs> so maybe it's a commentary on that. Who knows? It's not commented on. It's just how it is. Everyone's just having relationships with other women. Love that. Very nice. There's a non-binary and mostly mute character on board, which is cool. The captain of the ship is in power, but also because they're not a strong... Like, they have the knowledge to be the captain and they have the responsibility to be the captain, but because they're not, like, comfortable forcefully giving orders, they, like, delegate that to their second. And so it's, like, a really good example of how in the future maybe this might be how small teams can actually work in a way honestly as someone who was when I was still work happened to work with a really really good boss I was really lucky enough to have a really good immediate supervisor who really played to all of our strengths I really appreciated that little nod to what it can look like to have a team who all just uses each other's strengths and doesn't like necessarily go this is your job role this is your job role this is your job role like it's Everyone works together to work out what's going to get the job done best and most efficiently. And I thought that was just a nice little part of it. Sounds like the kind of work dynamic when they're only women. (laughs) or when women run the show I mean possibly that being said my supervisor who I was just talking about was a man so there are good (laughs) ones (laughs) oh Emma don't go not all men on us I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. I can highly, highly recommend. It's a whole experience, really. It's quite difficult to sum up, but it's very much worth reading. And I would highly recommend. The only reason it didn't get like a full five star, I think, was it did lose a couple points in logic. I'm not going to say exactly, exactly why, but there were just a few things that seemed a bit odd to me in terms of choices that were made. But for the purposes of the story, you know, it all works out. Sounds like a really good book, and I'm glad you had such a good reading experience. Very exciting. Did you want to reveal what the book you finished this week was? <laughs> I will. So the book I finished this week, the one and only, <laughs> is <laughs> Peter Pan mm-hmm. by Jam Berry. The quick and dirty of it is that I gave it 4.5, which is the highest wow. rating that I've given a book this year. You're kidding. Very excited to discuss it. <laughs> wow, I cannot wait to get into that later. All right. Interesting. <laughs> this is easily the largest discrepancy you and I have ever had between our book ratings. I cannot yeah. wait to get into that later okay moving on (laughs) the other book i finished (laughs) this week is one dark window by rachel gillick so this was the moonies book club pick i was not at all excited about this one the book cover and blurb both sounded very meh to me once again i have been duped by marketing teams this ended up being more enjoyable than i expected it had very dark fairy tale vibes in the end, actually. And the magic system was interesting. I ended up giving it a 4.25. Core pile spat out a 4.5. I ended up docking a 0.25 just because I don't think it's as memorable as many of the books I rate a 
4.5 and also because I don't think it really warrants a reread and things in the 4.5 plus range are usually the things I'm going to try and reread. This is a duology by the way, I found out that there's only going to be two of these books so I definitely will read the second one when it comes out in October. Well maybe not when it comes out in October, I don't know if I'm that excited <laughs> to read the second one immediately. It ended on a cliffhanger but it's not like a Her Majesty's Royal Coven level cliffhanger. I'm not like jumping at the bit. Exactly, yeah. I'm not I'm not, you know, holding out for it. I'm just kind of going, oh yeah, I'll read it, <laughs> you know. But it was enjoyable. It's classified as a YA, but it has a steamy scene. has a definite steamy scene. Apparently Sometimes YAs, that happens. Apparently YAs have steamy scenes in them now. They occasionally do. They have been known to occasionally, like not explicitly. I don't know how explicit this steamy scene was. I feel like YAs often have steamy scenes, but it doesn't ever go to like direct description. It's more like you know, allusions to how they feel and then fade to black. No, this did not fade to black. Really? No. It was a very good steamy scene. Like, it was well described. It, there was no <laughs> awkward language or anything. Like, I appreciated how it was written, but definitely not a fade to black. So I don't know. <laughs> also, Goodreads seems to have both young adult and adult listed in its... Ooh, maybe that's why. So I don't know. But everyone in the book club chat seemed to be insistent that it was a young adult book. So I guess it's a young adult book, unless other people say otherwise. I don't know. Storygraph doesn't list it as a young adult book, but Goodreads does. I don't know. You know, it's in a gray I area. It definitely is a gray area. They're also like, you know, young adults do have steamy scenes in their own lives too. So yeah, exactly. I don't know why we're pretending they don't. The thing is, I think the main character is, if we're doing it based on age of main character, then technically probably new adult would hmm, be, I think she's, mm, can't remember, 18? 19? Mm. I would still call that young adult. I think okay. new adult starts at 20. That's at least All my right. interpretation. Okay. I don't know if that's official. I don't know. I think of new adult as like going into college. Which happens at 19, I guess, yeah, I guess it happens at 18. It do, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess I think I was 18 in high school. So and I think of 18, I think of high school. But yeah. Right. Yeah, there's blurred lines. Anyway, so yes, whatever. Who cares? It's... <laughs> It's a fantasy. It's classed as a fantasy horror. Now, as someone who's quite fond of horror, I don't know how heavily into the horror I would class this. It's definitely more fantasy. There are horror elements, but I was a little disappointed there wasn't more horror, to be honest, because I was kind of expecting there to be more because people had classified it as horror specifically. It's definitely more fantasy. Damn, yeah, I know we were looking forward to that. It's like a, it's basically like a slightly gory fantasy. Ah. Yeah. Like, there's, it's fantasy hmm, with some... There's a lot of fantasy that, like, it's has fantasy with some in blood in it. Right, that's not, that's not horror at all. There's plenty of fantasy with blood in it. Fantasy with blood and tension. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantasy with blood, tension, and mystery, which I feel like is also in plenty of fantasy, so... Anyway. Yeah. Like, but... I wouldn't call Game of Thrones horror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the magic system was really interesting. It basically centers around cards that contain magic, which is an interesting premise. And, like, people were trying to find and collect the cards, but they're mostly owned by the royal family. And there's whole, like, power dynamics around that. So, kind of an interesting concept. Kind of makes me think of Pokemon. Well, yeah, it's kind of like magic Pokemon, I guess. <laughs> Except way darker. But yeah, no, it has very much like a dark fairy tale vibe, which I quite enjoyed. I feel like you would enjoy this. It's got a lot of good atmosphere. It was generally pretty well enjoyed by people in 
both the urban fantasy and the atmospheric fantasy <laughs> camps in our book club. Like pretty much everyone was in like a slightly above average enjoyment <laughs> of this one, at least. I mean, some people really loved it. I think you would probably enjoy this. It's got a lot of like little poetry things as well. Like every chapter starts with a little call back to this like ancient book that contains... I love that. <laughs> I know, I know you would. <laughs> it's got like a little little poems that do like little callbacks to the ancient book of, you know, it's basically the book that explains the card magic and every chapter starts with a little of that and then it's kind of sprinkled throughout as well. It's all kind of connecting back to this ancient book and these rules of magic and all this kind of stuff. So I think you would enjoy it. Well, so one of my current reads actually does that too, which I just love. Dune? Currently mm -hmm. continuing Dune, which is very exciting. I've gotten pretty far into it now. I think I've gotten maybe three or four hours, mm. which isn't like a lot, but you know, it's kind of a background read. So I'm glad I'm getting further into it. It has been a perfect like bedtime story slash work background noise mm. type of thing. Very excited, especially because the second movie's coming out. Mm. What's really interesting about the little blurbs that the chapter heads in Dune is that it seems to be written by one of the characters, but from the future. So, mm. like, one of the characters reflecting back on the time that I'm reading. Oh, of, that's interesting. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, it's always fun when they do something you know, interesting with that, something mm -hmm. different. At least that's what I think it is. I'm not totally sure yet. But yeah, I'm continuing to enjoy Dune a lot. It's a lot of politics, but in a fun way. I'm enjoying the politics. It's actually like politics, but the main characters are like the moral ones, you know, like trying to mm -hmm. uphold morality. So it's not just like, or restore morality on this planet to mm -hmm. a certain degree. So it's not just like politics that are heavy and depressing because mm -hmm. people are just screwing each other over. <laughs> that can sometimes get tiring, I find. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Game of Thrones, actually, a little bit. I didn't finish this series. I watched the whole television series, but I only read the first two books. Mm. But that similarly follows, like, family trying to be moral and right in a world of dirty politics. Mm. And for anyone who's read Game of Thrones knows how that turned out for them. So we'll see how it turns out for these people. I'm curious. Mm. But I also recently saw on TikTok. I don't know if I told you I recently rejoined TikTok. It's a devastation to my whole life, but whatever. <laughs> I came across a TikTok made by Grimes. She was talking about AI and how quote unquote she's had strong opinions on AI since she was seven when she read Dune and I was like well you know what as false as that sounds like it can't possibly be true it's also Grimes and you never know that feels like a positive endorsement so I'll take it she's supposedly a genius so like you know it's, it's very possible it's very possible she's very low-key I mean I think she's a musical genius that's for sure but no as in I've heard I don't know I don't know supposedly an actual genius an actual genius well like I, 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 like I, I can level. believe that Wow. I have heard that somewhere I love before. that for her. I absolutely love that for her. <laughs> but yeah, so I got the Grimes seal of approval and that encouraged me even more. Cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's really just a lot of space politics in a great way, in a very thoroughly enjoyable way, which is like exactly what I was looking for is like a background cool. sort of world, escapist world. Cool, cool. That's Speaking of escapist world, I was thinking about what you were saying a couple of weeks ago about the fact that you've been having trouble finding, you know, like a proper series to really escape into. And then you found Peter Pan and it helped. Did you ever finish that series that's like attached to Fangirl, the, the one that's no. like a drawery fan fiction? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, carry on. No, I completely forgot about that. Because that could potentially be it's something true. It's true. It's, that just popped it's into sitting my right head. there. That just popped into my head as something that like could be Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. For sure. 
I don't know exactly where my mood is heading. Mm. It's, it's, I'm at a bit of a crossroads right now, which I'll get into when I talk <laughs> about my other book that I'm currently reading. Fair enough. But yeah, I'll, I'm going to pocket that idea because that's a good point. Okay. Maybe it'll be one I bring to Japan. Okay, cool. What are you currently reading this week? So I am currently trying to desperately finish two books that I was trying to finish them both by the end of July, but it's now as of time of recording the last day of July for me and I'm not going to manage both of them today. So I'm going to focus on the one that I need to get back to the library (laughs) in the next couple of days, which is A Man Called Uwe. I have read about maybe like a third of it so far. Most of it was this morning. And I'm still enjoying it so far. It mostly seems to be a kind of slow reflection on just this man's life and themes of grieving changes in life and the loss of his job and his changes in life as you get older but in a very amusing kind of way there's also a stray cat that keeps making a regular appearance to bother him which is very amusing i don't have a lot of thoughts to share on that yet to be honest but it's enjoyable so far i can't say i'm as sucked in as i expected to be from all the wonderful things I've heard, but it is definitely enjoyable so far. I I feel like I'm yet to reach, I don't know, it's definitely very, very good, and there's a lot of poignant things in it, but I honestly, I feel like I may be suffering from overhyped book at the moment, and I'm now slightly scared that I'm going to get to the end of it and still feel this way. I really, really hope not, because I had extremely high hopes for this one. Ah, it's the worst. But, like, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm not enjoying this. I am. I'm really, really enjoying it, but I was kind of expecting it to be something that I didn't want to put down based on mm-hmm. what people were saying, so I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll become that soon. You can't force that feeling, you know? Yep. Yep. Anyway, what's your other book that you're currently reading? My other currently reading is La Pona by Otessa Moshveg. Mm. So I picked that up from the library right. and I started it. I can't say that I'm excited to read it because mm. I'm like seven pages in and it's already pretty horrifying. Still haven't unpleasant. got that past that first seven pages, huh? Oh no. Nina texted no, me about this I first have. seven pages several days ago for context. Yeah, I think I picked it up on like Thursday and mm. maybe I was reading it Friday. Friday, or maybe it was reading on Thursday and I picked it up Wednesday. I don't know. I picked it up from the library a couple of days ago and I started reading it in the morning on my way to work. And it's just nasty. Mm. I mean, that's all it is, really. I am dedicating myself to reading the first 50 pages. Okay. I definitely want to at least give it that solid shot. Mm-hmm. But I also, if I get to the first 50 pages and feel like I cannot do it, because I've heard there's some pretty bad things in this book. I heard there's like some like real cannibalism going on and I don't know if I can sit there and read cannibalism I just don't think I have it in me personally it's not my cup of tea so I'm gonna give it the old college try as they say read the first 50 pages and see how I feel I don't know how long it's gonna take me to read those 50 pages but I am dedicated to getting through them at least well I assume you have some kind of library return as a deadline at least right I have three weeks Mm -hmm. so I think I think I should be able to get through the 50 pages in three weeks I mean, you know, if I do 10 a day, mm-hmm. then that's only five days. You got so this. So that shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. You got this. 
Hopefully I'll have a decision somewhat, like a better idea of what my decision will be next week and I can report on that then. For the moment, she's up to the same BS as always, but this time maybe worse. The one thing that I really hope comes up sooner rather than later to get me into the story is that there is some sort of surrealist or magical realist element Mm. to this one, which is unique to her other books, which are all very much realism. Well, you know, sort of. I'm very curious if that will pull me in because I love a little magical realism. I love a little fantasy. And I feel like maybe if it's not a real... Are you expecting that in this book? Like, has that... It's in the blurb. Oh, okay. I can read the blurb if you would like. I didn't I I don't know if you know what the book is about. I don't. Why don't I just give a little... The only thing I know is it's like medieval and gross. Right, right. Oh, so, okay, I was getting my coffee in the morning on my way to work as I was reading this book, and my coffee guy, who is just a lovely man, you know, that I see every day, he always sees me reading. That day of all days, he decides to ask me what I was reading, and I had to be like, oh, yeah, I'm reading this book called Lapvona by Otis Amashvag. I just started it. (laughs) Side out. (laughs) and he's like what's it about it's like oh you know it's like i think it's like a medieval horror story it's supposed to be a little grotesque i don't know i'm not too far into it so i can't give you a good recommendation yet but we'll see and he i swear to god pulls out a piece of paper and a pen he writes the name down he's like can i see that title again i was like oh sure he's like ah you had me at medieval horror i was like okay that's your thing cool Uh, Learn something new every day. Anyway, (laughs) the blurb for this goes, Merrick, the abused and delusional son of the village shepherd, never knew his mother. His father told him she died at childbirth. One of the few consolations for Merrick is his enduring bond with the blind village midwife, Ina, who suckled him when he was a baby, as she did many of the village's children. Ina's gifts extend beyond childcare. She possesses a unique ability to communicate with the natural world. Her gift often brings her the transmission of sacred knowledge on levels far beyond those available to the other villagers, however religious they might be. For some reason, Ina's home in the woods outside the village is a place to fear and to avoid a godless place. There's a little bit more to the blurb, but that's like the main idea. And so I'm mm-hmm. curious about this like sacred knowledge, maybe power situation. One thing that I will say that I am not loving out of the gate with this story is I'm noticing some like kind of pretty coded language mm-hmm. around this child Merrick who seems to be potentially disabled mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the people in the town they're kind of described as like I don't know how else to put it but like funky you know mm-hmm. physically and mentally and I think it's like boiled down to like incest they said mm-hmm. it's a very small village and they're like always inbreeding mm-hmm. or whatever um and i'm getting this from the first seven pages which have been very graphic already but yeah it's a little uncomfy because i'm like trying like i remember describing this kid to a few different people and being like how do i say this in a way that doesn't sound offensive just because it's kind of an inherently offensive character in a way that doesn't feel like intellectually intentional necessarily it definitely Mm. feels intentional in setting like the mood but i don't know if that's really a reason you know to make Mm. a character kind of like let's say like he kind of seems dumb he kind of seems like his physical ailments are implied to like make him sound like ugly and unpleasant to look at 
you know, and, like, people are, like, sort of grossed out by him, mm. you know? So it's just, like, ugh, a little icky. A little icky. And right. it so goes back like to that horror that... movie trope of, like, someone who's, like, super, super, super inbred for many, many generations, and then it gives them special powers. That That's, like, a that's a horror movie trope. Yeah. It, it gives them special like powers or makes them extra dumb, and then they become, like, a villain of some kind. Right. Yeah, I don't know what direction he's going to take, and he is so far, like, the main character, so, like, he could be going through a big arc or something, it could be, like, the village people underestimate him, and he's going to reveal himself to be more, like, let's say, intelligent than they think he is or something, but he also is doing weird things that are just, like, just a little weird. He's, Mm. like, I, I, it's very vague, and it's very, like I said, coded, so mm. it's hard to say, like, what he got going on, you know? It also could be, like, the product of living so isolated and with other very strange, sort of disturbed people. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what she's trying to do with that. And, you know, it could be something where she's trying to build atmosphere for this world in a way that, like, doesn't reflect, obviously, her own personal ideas and beliefs. Mm. But there's a way to do that that feels like it's making a statement and is in some way necessary and then there's ways to do that that feel like a trope or like Mm. taking advantage of a stereotype you know well look i mean you're only seven pages in we'll see how it goes (laughs) right right oh yeah i'm very early in. it's just the whole thing is there's no other word but weird and it's on a level that i haven't even seen otessa reach yet Mm. i cannot imagine being someone who picked this up as my first otessa novel yeah i would put it down and never read anything by her again if i pick this up yeah (laughs) but anyway anyway i hope that encourages people to pick it up because it's a very enticing (laughs) very enticing review of the first seven pages it made me feel a lot of emotions i'll tell you that more on that to come yeah i think i'll be able to get to 50 pages by next week we'll see all right well speaking of unsettling my current read is salt slow by julia armfield my other current read which is a collection of short stories and it's the only other thing that julia armfield has written other than our wives under the sea Mm. i've only read three of the short stories so far they're all very very good very very well written two out of the three are very much in that unsettling zone but in you know the good horror kind of way and the other one is more in a sort of almost thought experiment kind of zone so yeah really enjoying that so far and really looking forward to getting back to it after i finish a man called uva very cool very cool i'm excited getting to her first book actually this is her first book oh oh interesting yeah she wrote the short stories first but yeah our wives under the sea is so good anyway um (laughs) in case any of the listeners happen to have missed all of the episodes that i have mentioned that in our wives under the sea is amazing (laughs) and you should you should read it You know, there's there's a solid chance I will be dropping Lapona for it, so we'll see. Woo, whoop, whoop, whoop. I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's nothing to be bummed about with DNFing a book. I think it's almost a power move. Fair enough. <laughs> and if you didn't read the whole thing, it doesn't count as an unliked book. I mean, I guess. <laughs> That's my stance. Anyway, have you collected any new books today? Do you have any haul to share with us? I love collected. It's a nice way to put it. (laughs) I do, actually. I have two things I have added to my Kindle. How about you? I have two as well. Awesome. Well, one of mine is 
Salt slow. What's your first one? My first one is now this is gonna come out of left field. Let me just warn you now. Mm. <laughs> Myths from Mesopotamia: Creation, the Flood, Gilgamesh, and others. A new translation by Stephanie Daly. Ooh, it's so not that far out of left myth- field. Come on, we both love mythology. <laughs> True, true. It's a collection of Mesopotamian mythology. I'm very excited to read it. I would maybe go into what motivated me to pick this up, but it's just so deep, and I think I'm going to save that conversation for another time when I actually start reading it. So this is being tabled for the moment. I'm probably going to pick it up fairly soon because I'm excited about it, and I did read the like introduction and thought it was very exciting. It definitely motivated me mm-hmm. to want to read it soon. So we'll see. We'll see. What is your second haul for the week? So for context, the website that I write reviews for, onlinebookclub.org, does this thing where they have like a book of the day and you can kind of go into the running to win either 10 or $20 if you like read a sample of the book. And they're usually independent, like self-published books. And a lot of them are pretty hit or miss, <laughs> not gonna lie. Or they're just things that I'm not that interested in. But this one, I read the sample and I found myself quite interested in continuing it. And it was on sale on Kindle. So I went, you know what? Why not? I'm not gonna just add this to my TBR. I'm gonna actually purchase it while it's on sale. So I decided to do that. It's called The Truth Together by Kelly Rogers. This book is essentially a historical fiction set in the U.S. South. It's about a couple of generations of a black family in the few decades post-slavery. And I haven't met the older generation yet because it starts with the younger generation and, you know, switches timelines. But the sample of the book that I have read basically was a biracial second generation biracial I think so she's her dad was already biracial so you know kind of semi-white passing but not enough in some situations nurse who is moving to a new nursing position at the Georgia State Sanitarium and the first thing that happens like in this first chapter when she arrives at the sanitarium is she opens the door to you know the white portion of the sanitarium and it all it all looks pretty fine pretty clean she goes up to the person in charge says you know where should I sign in she goes you don't you go to the coloreds building she walks into the coloreds building and it's chaos in there there's basically no staff in there and a trigger warning for pregnancy complications and birth complications here skip forward maybe a couple minutes there's a mother who is bleeding out like she literally walks in there's a mother who's bleeding out giving birth to a breech baby she's just a nurse she's never had to deliver before the baby ends up dying the mother ends up dying that's the start of the book and it's so powerful and there's like a patient in there with her who I think she's a white patient who's like dressing up as a nurse and trying to help and it's like there's all there's all these weird dynamics going on so we've got some mental health I think that person was like brought up in the, in the sanitarium from what I read in the blurb so like someone who was actually like born in the white sanitarium I think is like stuck there or something like that so we're, we're dealing with someone who's like stuck in a system there's someone who's being oppressed and all this other kind of stuff and it just seemed like there were a whole bunch of really interesting dynamics going on 
the complexity of the characters even within the sample of the book was just jumping off the page and so I was like okay I'm in (laughs) I'm hooked so I decided to purchase that one I don't know if I'll actually read it straight away or anything because I have a lot of books to read in August but I definitely wanted to read it at some point and I was like okay yeah definitely gonna read this so that sounds great yeah sounds like a great read Mm. what's your other book that you've purchased or attained yeah (laughs) I purchased also is and isn't out of left field for me. Mm -hmm. So I picked up a book that I found at the giveaway bin at my library. Mm -hmm. It's The Romantic Manifesto by Ayn Rand. Okay. And she's one of those writers that I feel like is always just like popping up one of those 20th century classics. Mm -hmm. And I've had Fountainhead in my TBR, I feel like forever, but I haven't ever like picked it up. And Obviously, this wasn't the one that I was expecting to start with, but now that I have it, I feel like it would be a great start, just because, I don't know, Romantic Manifesto, that sounds perfect. I love that. I'm a total romantic, so let's see what she has to say on that. (laughs) And I don't know if this is fiction or not. I know The Fountainhead is fiction, but I'm not sure if this one is or, like, if it's genuinely a manifesto. So I'm excited to find out. Won't be finding out for a long time, probably. I don't expect to pick this up anytime soon. It was just sort of a random grab. I mean, you could so, yeah. look it up. I, I could look it up. Okay. I could look it up. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I shouldn't have looked it up because I immediately see a cover that's better than the one I have. <laughs> Wait, really? That one's um, pretty, though. I thought so, too, but now this one looks cooler. It's actually nonfiction, and it seems to be an actual, like, collection of essays on ethics by Ayn Rand. For what it's worth, I prefer the cover you've got. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. I like this bird person. Nah, I like cool the one you've it. got, the statue with the wing. <laughs> Nike? I do love Nike. What? How is it Nike? Nike. The goddess. It's in the Louvre. Oh, is is that what that statue is? Goddess of victory. It's really hard to see. <laughs> That's where the swoosh of Nike shoe comes from. Oh. We're learning new things every day here, people. Our resident <laughs> art expert is teaching us. <laughs> Happy to contribute. <laughs> So yeah, that was my, that, that's all my haul for this week. Sweet. Cool. Does that mean it's time to get into the combo? It is. So our Peter Pan, very controversial conversation coming right up. Let's do it. Let's just jump right into it. Okay. How would I first give you my off the bat impressions and we can go do from it. there. Let's, let's go. So reading this book, I immediately enjoyed it, as you know, mm-hmm. mostly for the atmosphere. And as I was going, like I continued to feel the same way pretty much. It's pretty consistent in its tone and the story. I didn't feel like the story like dropped at any point. It was just a lot of fun adventures on this island. But what I was liking about it that like sort of pushed it up for me was that there's like this itching feeling that there's something deeper behind the meaning of the characters and what's going on and I by the end of it was spending a lot of time trying to figure out like what different things mean I underlined so many things in this book and made so many stars because there's so much beautiful symbolism and not only that I think just like without reading even too deeply into it I really enjoyed the story of Wendy and her imaginary world and it kind of felt like a funny parallel to the Barbie movie in a weird way. I recently watched the Barbie movie. I don't know if that's out in Australia, but it's incredible. Whenever it comes out, you have to watch it. Ah, 
you gotta see it. It's it's ridiculously good. Uh, I cried the entire time. But I think what made me feel like parallel to it is just the sense of, you know, recognizing the transition from like girlhood to womanhood and the loss that comes with that, but also like embracing the strength and power that you grow into. The story I don't know. I remember you saying that it was like all about boys and I don't think it's all about boys at all. It's just, I mean, it does obviously have a lot of male characters, like all the little boys, but it's all about Wendy and her world and this whole land is her imagination. And so it feels very much like her story. I'm sorry, is it? Yeah, this is Wendy's Neverland. Is it though? Everyone has a Neverland and I feel like it's fair to assume that it's hers because Michael and John just aren't as predominant of like main characters. Is is it her imagination? That's not explicit. It's, yeah. I would say it's explicit in that, like, at the end, when they're talking about how every generation of young girl has an experience going to Neverland, it's like a symbol for each individual's imagination. Interesting. And how... We've interpreted like, that very differently. Really? Well, okay. Another thing that I really enjoyed about this story is the way it, like, catered to two audiences. It had the sort of, like, lighthearted, fun story that a child can hear and appreciate and enjoy, but also has, like, a deeper level of story arc behind the, like, surface, where what we're hearing about is Wendy's struggle with not only society, but also specifically, like, with her father to be pressured to grow up and take on more responsibility that she is not sure if she wants yet. Like, I don't know if this is something that you had found in your reading of this or in your research or anything around it, but, like, Captain Hook is her father, and it's, like, this symbol of, like, Captain Hook sort of being in battle with her and the boys and Peter to prevent them from staying young or, like, trying to stop them from enjoying this childhood innocence. So it's really about, like, Wendy's story and her, like, internal experience of, like, growing up and trying to hold on to the things that make her a kid, you know? But also learning to, like, fall in love with the idea of, like, her own mother and how her mother is this, like symbol of like grace and beauty that she wants to embody okay that's okay so that's that's my interpretation of the book the only things i would say are like known givens are a captain hook is definitely her father just based on when i looked up just like different like reviews and people talking about the book is that the original play the person who is cast as captain hook is also cast as Wendy's father so it's kind of generally the idea is that they're the same person that he's a symbol for Captain Hook and Captain Hook vice versa and there are a lot of different theories about like who Peter Pan is but the one that I find the most interesting that I came across was a theory that Peter Pan is actually an embodiment of Wendy and I thought that was cool because it's really this conversation between Wendy and herself fighting between the desire to like I said grow into her mother and her womanhood and her power and her desire to stay a child and not face the challenges of what it is to be a woman. Mm -hmm. Why don't you like it? So this play, how long after the book was written was this first play? Like, was it designed to be a play? Did J.M. Barry write? He wrote the play before the book. He wrote the the play. Okay. All right. That's good to know. The play was for the first and then the book came after. Okay. That's good to know. I did not read this book deeply. 
I read this when I was, I think, 19, maybe younger, many years ago. I had no intention of reading it deeply. I still have no intention of reading it deeply, to be completely honest with you. It totally fair. bored the ever-living life out of me. The language was, of course, aimed a little more at children, but not enough that it felt properly like a children's book. Mm-hmm. Which is not a problem. Like, you know, you get the same thing with Little Women, with Anne the Green Gables. Like, you know, they're books that are designed to be read to children. And I enjoy those books sometimes when they're good, in my opinion. But the adventure story for kids is not my thing. When I'm reading a to-be-read-to-kids kind of story, it's going to be something domestic that is something I enjoy. Something more like Little Women, Anne of Green Gables... Adventure stories, not my thing. Atmospheric adventure stories, extra not my thing. And I was never going to go into it trying to read extra meaning into that because I was bored and tired and just trying to get through it. What made you pick it up? It was in my bookshelf. Mm, That'll do it. And I was at one point trying to, when I was younger, read through all my books alphabetically by author and Barry was, you know, fairly Mm. early on in the alphabet. So... It was there, and I begrudgingly read through it, basically. Not my thing. Didn't enjoy it. Two stars, basically. I didn't expect to not enjoy it, so it's not as if I went in expecting to not enjoy it. Like, I enjoyed the Peter Pan movie when I was a kid. Sometimes things just don't come at the right time in life. Look, quite probably. And I genuinely can't remember whether I read this in early uni or late high school, but either way, it was in a point in my life where... I would have been reading for comfort and this book did not provide that for me because of the very dated elements in there, the Native American references that were extremely yikes, stuff like that. Basically lost a whole extra star (laughs) for that because I had even less tolerance for that than I do now. You know, now I can kind of have more nuance with of the time, but I just had no patience for it, especially in a book that I was not enjoying. You know, if I read it today, I'm not going to, but if I read it today, possibly I would have a little more nuance around when it was written, but it just kind of was like an extra kind of nail in its coffin for me. I didn't hate it enough to be like, a it's a one star. I really, you know, just hated everything about it. It was still a two star. Like I obviously, there were little bits about it that I found redeeming at the time enough, but did not enjoy it. Found it really boring all the way through, basically just boring. On the conversation of race, I think what made this book a little bit more complex for me like able to like embrace it as part of the story was that sort of like what we were talking about with Jane Eyre where race is like a motivating factor that determines how the main characters interact with each other or like it's like an unavoidable thing that's like the reason for why characters treat other people a certain Mm. way or things like that in comparison to like other stories where like race is present and stereotypes are present it didn't feel like the way that these stereotypes while still being stereotypes didn't feel like the stereotypes that that were being portrayed were necessarily extremely negative you know like you could say that like the offense of the portrayal of native americans in this book is in that they are portrayed as savages you know however i would also say that all groups in the scenario are portrayed as savages that they're all sort of you know in their own way off of the land and Mm -hmm. battling each other and that they aren't an other 
really, just because they join sides. They're on opposite sides at one point, they join sides at another, they have their own motivations, and they're independent of Mm -hmm. the main group of boys, but they interact in a way that doesn't feel like it falls into a typical like us versus them narrative Mm. or like a good guy bad guy it doesn't like villainize them in my opinion I think there was a moment at when they were first introduced where they're discussed in this more violent way which sort of put me off at first but then when I realized that for probably the majority of the book they're actually allies of the main characters it kind of gave them more personhood Mm. in my view of it and not to say that this author wasn't racist. I mean, obviously, in my personal view of the world, everyone is racist because we, you know, live in a world where racial bigotry is internalized. But this person probably, you know, didn't have maybe the awareness that we would consider polite today. However, I think the majority of the book doesn't address the Native American people in a light that I would say is like purely malicious. Mm. Maybe it's unfavorable. Maybe it's how like I would totally understand and I'm not Native American for full disclosure. I totally understand if Native Americans are uncomfortable with the narrative this book puts out. But I think in in the context of the time it isn't a story that villainizes or belittles or dehumanizes Mm. that group in a way that other stories do. You know what I mean? Yeah I can understand that. So it's like a complicated thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Now, again, I do not remember many specific details of this book, so maybe it would be a good idea to go through some of the stuff you, like, highlighted and whatnot. Sure. So that I can be prompted a little. Sure, sure, no problem. Let me go through. I'm pretty sure the rating that I gave it was mostly just from overall boredom, though. (laughs) You know... I can understand definitely that if you didn't feel like a personal connection to any of the characters, that it's hard to care about what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I definitely can understand that. I think what maybe drew me towards the story, made me care a little bit more, was like Wendy's story, seeing myself Mm. in her, and also maybe just coming off of the high of the Barbie movie and thinking about (laughs) womanhood as like a theme. And I don't know how much time you spend online these days, but as I've said before, lately it's been a lot for me. And there's so much like Barbie content Mm. out there where like women are talking about their experience of womanhood Mm. and girlhood and I think it's just been like a very like time for the girls yeah and this book felt like a good like addition to that experience it's it's interesting I when reading that book like I said the womanhood girlhood element of it made zero impression on me whatsoever this did not feel like a book aimed at girls or women in any way whatsoever this felt like a book aimed at boys to me this felt like a little boys adventure book that just happened to have a little girl in it as a second main character peter felt like the main character to me so i do think it's really interesting that that is a very different way that we've read this book and potentially that is because of the different contexts and time that we've read it in like you've come at it with this context of Barbie and and you know <laughs> wanting to you know see the womanhood and you know wanting to emphasize that in your reading whereas I came at it with no context at all except maybe the Peter Pan movie actually and you know that certainly doesn't emphasize Wendy much at all so maybe that's why I focused more on the Peter Pan being the main character thing. I think that poten- I think that that potentially has also very much changed our perspective on the entire story and how we're reading it. Because in terms of the actual concept of Neverland, and this is the other thing that 
I kind of balked at when you first mentioned this book a couple of weeks ago was you mentioning Neverland as like a place that seems like a lovely imaginary place. I have always been really, even as a child, honestly, I've always been, maybe I've just always been a really depressed kid, um, <laughs> like a little bit, not always, since like age 10. You know, when I first watched it as a very small child, I enjoyed it. But, you know, since, you know, age 10 and onward, I've always been suspicious of the concept of Neverland and the idea of not growing up and being stuck as a child. I hate that concept with a wild passion. The idea of that, the idea of immortality, the idea of not having responsibilities while on paper sounds great. But has you also always, have no power. yeah. It, it, there's there's also no power. There's no choices. It's like an illusion of choices, and it's also very much associated with Michael Jackson now, which is a whole thing. Like he used to call his home like Neverland, and now there's that whole association, right? Which is gross. True. I wasn't thinking about that at all when I was reading this book. To be fair, I don't think Jaron Barry's at fault for that, but I understand the association. Yeah, like, it, it just seems to me that wanting to stay a child and that kind of... I don't know, Peter Pan's always been a very kind of, like, borderline, like, almost creepy character to me because he's trying to lure Wendy and the others and the Lost Boys into staying a child forever. And he's meant to seem, I think, like a friendly presence and you know carefree and, and stuff but I feel like it's a less effective version of the horrors of the island in Pinocchio you know um mm. the one where they all go and and mess around and do whatever they want and it all turns into a disaster like I feel like that's the real Neverland and that's what my brain expects Neverland to actually be like and that's why this Neverland this like wonderful paradise where yes there's some violence but it's overall on the surface level still pretty nice. It unsettles me. I see where you're coming from with that. I mean, I think I haven't read Pinocchio. This kind of makes me want to read Pinocchio. I mean, I'm basing that mostly on the movie. I haven't read it since my mum read it to me out of the Italian book when I was a child. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I haven't watched the movie in a long time, but that's an interesting connection because I, I didn't immediately think of that, but I think you're totally right. I think, oh, kitty, what's wrong? You're not feeling good? I'm sorry. Mama, she's in the other room. Oh. I see the connection, now that you mention it, between the two places as this sort of lure for children. Yeah. However, I think the difference between the two places is that in Pinocchio, I can't remember what it's called, but that island is created by adults looking to exploit children. That's true. Whereas I feel like Neverland is created by the child itself, Mm. you know? And I think... Neverland almost represents, like, the time before you're sexualized, or at least the time before you recognize that you've been sexualized, Mm. because, and I have this note towards the end of the book when I've been thinking about, like, what Peter Pan is for so long, because, I mean, there's so many theories out there about what he is. Is he a demon? Is he an angel of death? Is he, you know, an alternate version of Wendy? There's a lot of different theories about what he is, but regardless, sort of my thought on what he is is that he's not necessarily a boy, and he's not necessarily, like, a person who has gender. Mm. There's actually this mention towards the end of the book where Jan Barry says... The mauve ones are boys, the white ones are girls, and the blue ones are just little sillies who are not sure what they are. And that immediately made me think, 
that's Peter. He hasn't been forced to confront his gender or be sexualized in a way that he's aware of, I think. And I think that's like part of like Wendy's journey in the story is her being at this moment in her girlhood where she's now forced to like start taking on responsibilities associated with gender mm-hmm. and she's sort of trying them on for size and seeing how she feels and so Peter is this sort of wistfulness that I think some children including myself had at that young age when we were on like the precipice of like let's say puberty and embracing big change in our life and change that had to do with like defining who we are in relation to gender like I don't know if you had this experience or you know a reader could relate to this or a reader, I mean if a listener could relate to this but like I remember when I first got my period I was terrified I was so upset I was devastated I was really? like crying because I was not ready. I just didn't want to be, you know, like, not that, that having a period makes you an adult, but, like, it's, like, the first sign, you know, for a lot of girls, I think, that, right. like, you're becoming mm-hmm. an adult or you're it's associated with womanhood. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, oh, no, I haven't, you know, had enough of this yet or I'm not ready to move on from this stage in life. And that would being, like, a really big process for me or, like, a moment to internalize. Right. And so I think when I was reading this book and hearing sort of Wendy's journey of exploring what it might feel like to be a mother and to be an adult woman in relation to these silly boys, Mm -hmm. you know, and then deciding ultimately that she wants to remain in her actual childhood in which she's not a person with this big responsibility, but embracing the fact that it will come one day and Mm -hmm. not like being so close to it. It kind of rang true for me, you know? So I think Neverland feels like a place where sexualization goes on pause in a funny way because time has stopped and she can really take that moment to decide if she's like ready for it and ultimately like you don't have a choice it's going to come for you no matter what but I like the idea that she had the opportunity to like feel it out you know interesting yeah so I think I think that's what connected me to it the most that's interesting hearing you talk about that has made me wonder whether one of the reasons I can't relate to this book and this story is that basically I started to get fatigue and depression and all these other things associated with my disability before I'd even hit puberty. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got my period, my reaction was basically just, oh, okay. Another thing. And then it was only when my mum was like, oh, you know she made it into like a nice oh you're a woman now you know and she made it into a good thing for me and she helped me through it and she helped me feel good about it and then she helped me get excited about it and then I had a few friends who'd already gone through it and they helped me feel good and excited about it as well and then the next one was incredibly painful and I realized that this was (laughs) something that my body was not gonna like and yeah (sighs) anyway (laughs) yeah Um, but basically I think what I'm trying to say is that I think because of the pain and the, you know, even from primary school, like I was forced from an early age to take responsibility for things that I probably shouldn't have had to because like people didn't believe me. Like I was constantly having to tell teachers like I'm in pain, this hurts, I need to go home and, you know, take responsibility for things that I shouldn't have had to. Not my parents, by the way. My parents are great. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to sound like <laughs> my parents neglected me or anything. I'm just saying like, you know, school teachers and stuff. And I'd already had to deal with a whole bunch of stuff like that, that I feel like maybe I kind of had a lot of, I, I grew up fairly quickly, I think, and fairly suddenly. And I also grew up with a disabled mum. 
And so I had a lot of things I was more aware of in terms of like parents being adult humans rather than just parents and you know my, my parents were always like straight up with me about everything you know I, I knew Santa wasn't real straight away I was that kid that ruined everyone <laughs> else's fun you know basically like I was always like a tiny adult in a kid's body not always like you know I was <laughs> but you know definitely earlier than everyone else and potentially one of the reasons that I have so much trouble with the Peter Pan story is that to me Childhood is a very fuzzy memory and it's from when mm -hmm. I was very, very, very young and it doesn't seem like a fun time because <laughs> like that was back when I like was barely doing anything. Right. And I just feel like there's, I, I promise I'm not trying to like trauma dump or anything. This is just me trying to explain. No. Basically, I'm just trying to say like, I think I just grew up faster than most people did and therefore the idea of a never ending childhood has always just been puzzling to me. Like, even when I was a kid, I've never understood other kids. I never enjoyed talking to other kids. I just hung around the adults. Like, I never knew what hmm. to talk to other kids about. I was never a run around and play kind of person because my body hurt all the time. I was too tired to run around and play. I was always much more interested in, like, specific activities rather than just, you know, generic playtime, you know? So, like... The concept of Neverland has never had even a little bit of appeal to me, I guess. I don't know. Right. I feel like maybe that's another reason that this was just incredibly boring to me because there's just no appeal, even in the good bits. Right, right. I think a big part of it is, you know, it's either for a child who's reading it for the adventure story or it's for an adult who's finding a point of connection between this story, finding a point of connection between the story and their own life. Yeah. One thing I would say that if... And I know you're not going to reread it, but if you were to read it now or if you were to have read it at this point in your life, maybe that I think you would appreciate about it. That was one of the other things that I really appreciated about it was that towards the end when Peter is coming back for Wendy or when he's arguing with her mother to not make her stay home, you really see how in that idea that Peter might be a reflection of Wendy, that the story is a lot about Wendy learning the importance of mothering herself, mm -hmm. you know, and remembering throughout her adulthood, like as Peter comes back when she's getting older and then when she's married and when she has a kid and stuff, it kind of makes me think that it's like a story that is teaching you to remember that you need mothering too, even when you're an adult, even when you are a mother yourself. And I feel like he comes back to her in these moments when she needs to be reminded of that fact because he says at one point when he comes back for her, he says, I came back for my mother to take her to Neverland. And I just thought that was so precious because it shows like his vulnerability and his need for that caring figure as much as he wants to deny that need within himself the way I think a lot of us do we want to pretend we're fine we want to pretend we're adults mm. and therefore don't need all the things that children need but it kind of reminded me of this thing that I think maybe I saw somewhere online or I read it I can't remember but this like sticks in my head sometimes that like parents must be reminded to treat their children like people when they're children and treat their children like children when they're people when they're adults you know mm. that's just something I like to keep in mind I think a lot of the time that's like overlooked in our relationships with anyone regardless you know parents or children or just sometimes friends and family that can be a helpful reminder for me to see the child in them 
you know? And so I think there is a little bit of something for everyone in this book and in this like reflection on growing up. And I think it's understandably hard to see that coming from the perspective of a man. And I think the only reason he is able to really tell this story in a way that for me felt super authentic was based on what I like read online about him was that he grew up with like 10 siblings and I think most of them were women and he was raised by his oldest sister because his mom passed away when he was young so Mm -hmm. he had this really rich experience of like watching young women grow up earlier than they should and being raised by young women Mm -hmm. and I think you know it's a common sentiment that guys with sisters just have a little bit more of a head on their shoulders Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think maybe that is shining through here Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's my interpretation. That's why I love this book. But totally understandable that you didn't love it. Different experiences. Yeah. And I'm glad we talked it through, though, because I was curious where it came from. And now Mm. you know why I loved it for and, you know, all that. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad that we were able to talk that through because I would never, ever have considered this to be a book that is, like, focused on women (laughs) at all. So thank you for that perspective. That's very interesting. Well, I always love a book talk. That's one of my favorite episodes we do. Yeah, (laughs) me too. And now, listeners, you've been spoiled by two in a row. (laughs) One thing I would like to add, though, before we conclude the conversation, is just that I proceeded directly after finishing this book to watch the 1924 edition of Peter Pan, which is so cool. Like, it's just so pretty. It's a silent film, but... You know, they have, like, captions and stuff. And I just think it's so cool to see actual people who lived a century ago. What a weird thing. I have a really hard time conceptualizing that people are actually, like, real and alive 100 years ago. That's, like, very difficult for me to understand. Like, I'll watch a movie made today about the 20s and I'll be like, oh, haha, that feels just as real as a fantasy film, you know? And then I watch a movie like this, and I don't watch very many of these. Like, I'm not a big film person, but I watched this movie of, like, actual real people in the 1920s uh-huh. and I was like, ah, it just, it doesn't work in my brain. Like, how would they actually real i don't get it i don't get it but it was super cool like there it was very 20s style like all their hair was very 20s man you gotta watch more movies if this is blowing your mind i well i would the problem is i need to watch more movies that were made like before the 1970s like i have a really hard time with anything pre-1970s there are so many good classic i don't know about that I know, I know, I need to get into that. But this one was very cute and I highly recommend it. It's available for free on YouTube. It's an hour and 40 minutes long and it's just, it's precious. Cool. Alrighty. Any other things you had noted in there that you wanted to talk about? I think we've covered it. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We have been Books Without Borders. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to reach out to our email address, which is bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. Don't forget, I have linked my book review in the show notes, and I would really appreciate it if you could give that a click. And if you could share this episode around or any other episode that you enjoy of ours, podcasts really do spread best through word of mouth. So it would be really appreciated if you could share this episode with a friend if you think they'll enjoy it. We've also got a list of every book that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes along with some other stuff we mentioned as well and we will catch you next time. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.